Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Well, our sister Lucy has gone to be with Jesus and entered into the joy of her master. And her body was found on Thursday by a neighbor who was just checking up on her. She was at church last Sunday, we know. And there were some sweet things attending her presence here last Sunday. Uh, But Lucy's, uh, the cause of death, uh, her daughter Heather has reached out to us and I talked to her about the cause of death and she said that it was, they believe, heart-related. Maybe an arrhythmia of some sort. Um, Lucy's funeral is tomorrow in Martinsville at the Coston Funeral Chapel, and it's at 1 p.m. There's a visitation from 11 until 1. So there'll be a visitation and a funeral, and then a a burial uh, in a a little small town where Lucy was from, just north of Martinsville afterwards. So come and help us honor our sister tomorrow if you're able. A woman as deserving of honor as anyone I've ever known. Uh, In our study of Philippians, Paul has been talking about how to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel, and that consists of humility and putting other people first before yourself, and that's Lucy. She just embodied Philippians. Uh, She was not one to sound the trumpet before her like the Pharisees did. She did not even want to be seen. Uh, But what she wanted to do was love on our children, love on us, love on her pastor, Some of the ways she did that was by giving little gifts and doing little favors for people, kind things. I have a pair of winter gloves from Lucy. Somebody after the first service told me they had one too. Hand protection, and Jared, hand protection seemed important to her when she would come to the work days, uh, the outdoor work day. The last one, I think, in this spring, she came with a big basket of new gloves she had purchased. Many of them were children's sizes for for the help of the kids that were there. Uh, But the main way that Lucy blessed us, blessed me, was with words of encouragement and blessing and just her spirit of thanksgiving that was always about. And uh, she carried around little notebooks filled with thoughts, scriptures, things from sermons she'd been listening to during the week on the radio. And she was always ready to just share that with me if I passed her in the hall, what was on her mind. It was usually something spiritual, something thankful, something by way of blessing to me. And she almost didn't, she almost seemed like embarrassed to be doing it because it was like maybe wasting my time or something, but it was just so sweet. This is her, her, her overflowing joy in the Lord, her clinging to Jesus herself, um, led her to share with others her faith. Jesus said, Um, or it says about Jesus, that the disciples came to him once and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Lucy humbled herself to be a child of God. She humbled herself to receive Jesus and became his child. And as a child of God, she received our children 
and loved on them. And I know of nobody who has personally so embodied this story that Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, as Lucy did. So Lucy has not only entered into the joy of her master, but I'm convinced because of humility and her service and her work, lifelong work of clinging to Jesus, that she's been seated and will be seated ahead of many in the kingdom of heaven. I say right on to that. So help us come and honor this sister of ours, if you're able to, tomorrow up in Martinsville. Matt, Pastor Max is going to lead the service. Well, on to Philippians. We are halfway through our study of the book of Philippians. We're entering today into chapter 3, which is a totally awesome chapter. Just so great. I'm glad we've come to it at this time of the year because it's winter time. And winter time is a bleak time. It's a time of uh, uh, discomfort, barrenness, long, dark hours, lack of sunshine, reminders of loss. And these things weigh on us and play with our feelings and emotions. And this passage is really about joy and how joy is obtained and how joy, joy is preserved and how joy is increased. And I'm glad that we're here, because this is a time, it's always a good time to think about joy and to look for joy in God's word, seek it from him, but it's especially good this time of year as we're here we are on the verge of going into the winter season. So to, after today, we have two Lord's Days left before the start of Advent, and our Advent theme this year is Jesus, our Emmanuel. We're going to look at the me- Jesus as our mediator come down in the flesh to serve us as a Savior, how he did that, and how he continues to do it and will continue forever. And then that means that we've got three sermons, including this one, left this calendar year to devote to Philippians, and we're going to spend... The- these three sermons, looking at the first 16 verses of chapter 3 of Philippians, we're going to read all 16 verses every time. We read them through this week in staff meeting, and just reading them was a tremendous encouragement and a help to us. And um, the themes of this passage are very timely, also coming on the heels, men, of our men's retreat and the teaching that we sat under of Jeremy Vandergallion, the themes that he hit from Galatians, the themes of law and of justification and of obedience. Paul hits these themes here himself, but in a different way than he does in Galatians. He does it here by way of personal testimony, his own experience of how he came to find joy and peace in believing and trusting in Jesus. And he writes this testimony down so that we can benefit from it and be protected from false claims, false hopes, and come to know Jesus ourselves, the source of true and everlasting joy. Today we're going to just talk mostly about the first verse and then come back in with two more sermons and cover the next 16 verses. Think of this as an introduction to chapter 3 of Philippians and to the rest of this book. Let's look together and read God's word together. Chapter 3 of Philippians, the first 16 verses. This is God's word and it is eternally true. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
To write the same things again is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything else, or if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Paul begins this chapter with the word finally, which to our ears in English sounds a lot like he's coming to a close, but it's not what he means. What, the word means something more like from now on or for the rest, my brothers. I've said a lot up till now. Now here's, looking forward, here's the thing. Here's the thing. For the rest, my brothers. And what is that rest? The, what, is, what is the thing that's on his mind, the command that he gives? Rejoice in the Lord. After all that, here's the one main thing left to say, rejoice in the Lord. If you could just do that, it would take care of a whole lot. So he represents this as a command. He presents this by way of command or as a duty, an imperative, and not a one-off kind of thing. So like for the next 10 minutes, rejoice in the Lord. That's not what he's saying. In Greek, this is more like an ongoing, perpetual command, the way it's presented. Be always rejoicing in the Lord. Now think about that for just a second. Stop and just think about it. You and I are commanded by God to rejoice in him. What does that say about the nature of our religion, about the nature of our God? That we, his people, are commanded to find our joy and to rejoice in him. Well, one of the things that we realize, if you look at all of scripture, you come to the conclusion that joy is essential 
to Christian faith, that ours is a joy-focused, joy-centric, joy-oriented religion. When the angels announced the birth of the Savior to the shepherds, do you remember what they said? Behold, we bring you tidings of great joy. All that Jesus did and taught and said was meant to produce joy in his hearers. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is essential to the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom that Christ inaugurated in his coming. Paul writes in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not an eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is the peaceable fruit of believing in Jesus Christ. Paul, in the next chapter of Romans 15, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Joy is what God desires to produce in us by the work of his Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are, first of all, love, and second of all, joy. So joy is given quite a place of prominence in the list of, God, of the fruit that his Spirit produces. So just take, that's, there's, there's just a few things there, a few samplings of the New Testament, sort of what, what joy means how central it is to what God is doing in Jesus Christ and what he wants to produce in his people and what he wants for them. And that message is not unique to the New Testament. It's also throughout the Old Testament as well. Just a couple of examples of that. David writes in the Psalms, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 32 11, there's many examples where God's people in the Old Testament are commanded by their good God to rejoice in him. There was a wonderful example of this in the scripture that was read uh, as a scripture lesson during our combined service with Bloomington Bible Church, where Pastor Phil had read Nehemiah chapter 8. And this was a situation that took place when the people of God had been uh, lived for, for generations in captivity in Babylon and had been restored to the land and the law had been read to them, those who had never heard it with their ears before, and it overwhelmed them. They were grieving and mourning because of all that they had just learned about God and how far, far short they fell from his glory, the weight of the law, and all of God's requirements on them. And here's what Nehemiah said to them their leader, under the inspiration of God's Spirit. The day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we could add more examples, both old and new, that show how central joy is to what God's about and what he's up to in producing among his people, what he's aiming at for us. Joy is so much a part, so central to our faith that theologians who come around and, and summarize things about 
the scriptures in, and formulate it into doctrine and sometimes into confessions of faith and catechisms have given priority to joy as a matter of first principle in the catechism. If you know the first question and answer of the, is it the shorter catechism, I believe, Westminster? It, the question is, what is the chief end of man? What is his highest, greatest purpose in the world? What is, his, what is he about? What is he to be about? What is God's purpose in creating him? And here's the answer that they give as a summary of scripture. They say, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Joy is essential to the message and aims of our faith. If you're professing to live as a Christian and you are not experiencing joy, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. God aims at your joy in sending his son into this world, in revealing himself to you, in all that he does, he is aiming at your joy. He wants to be enjoyed by you and for you to take joy in knowing him. If you, if, if you are living as a joyless Christian, you have lost sight of something essential and most necessary about your own religion that you profess. Now, certainly there is a place for grief and sorrow. There's a time for everything under the sun, is what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. And he says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time for everything. So to grieve a lost loved one like Lucy is not unchristian. To truly feel grief and sorrow, the loss of a loved one is not unchristian at all. Jesus himself wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He wept. To grieve and mourn over our sin or others' sin is not unchristian. It's indeed commanded, necessary. It says in James, this is the Apostle James says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. And here's how you do it be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. How can we hate sin in ourselves or sin in the world as God hates it and not have sorrow, not weep and mourn? But that is not where God has us to live our lives. That is not what he's aiming at. It's a necessary step towards joy, that we come to know our sin, that we feel the weight of it, that we share God's own hatred of it and feel that emotionally in us. But that is not the, the goal or the aim. That's not the landing place. That's not what God is, that's not where he would have us live our lives. Those very verses go on, and here's how they conclude. I'll bring us back up to speed. He says, be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Up, up is the goal. Up near him in fellowship with a good God. 
where we're at peace with him and we receive his blessings and the joy and sweetness of his fellowship and the, and the joy that comes from living at peace and in harmony with him as those who are forgiven. That's the goal. And that's where he would have us live. That's what he aims at. He, we're not to live in continual groveling or perpetual doubt or uncertainty with regards to his acceptance, his love. We're not to be dour or flat in our experience as Christians. We are to be resting in, assured of, and really enjoying the goodness of God and the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. And we're supposed to be growing more and more in our appreciation of those things as we advance in our knowledge of God and our experience of him and working in our lives. This is what he's aiming at. Our true, everlasting, full experience of joy. True joy. So our good God commands us to be glad and rejoice in him. And that's a sign of his infinitely good nature and kind intention towards us in Jesus. And by being joyful, receiving those things, and living them out and being joyful, truly, in our hearts. That's how we display his goodness to the world. That's how we show that there is something good about God. Something worthy of, about his way of salvation is by being truly joyful in receiving it. Do you remember what Paul wrote in the previous chapter, chapter 2 of Philippians, about grumbling and disputing and how we're to not do anything with grumbles or disputes. And he said the reason why is because that's like Israel and that was a sign of their unbelief. But if we can do things within a different nature than them, then we will prove ourselves to be true children of God, blameless and innocent, and we will shine like lights in a dark world. Remember him saying that, chapter two? Well, here he's saying the same thing positively. Before it was do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now it's rejoice and always be rejoicing in the Lord. Go about your life in that way. And that is the way that we testify, best testify to the goodness that is in God and show that there really is something amazing about him that we have come to know through our faith. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, it is incumbent upon us as Christians to rise out of our despondencies. Joy should be the normal state of the Christian. What a happy religion is ours in which it is a duty to be happy. I love that. He sees it. This is what I've been trying to communicate, that it is such a, um, just stand back and marvel that, that it's in the nature of our God that he would give us a way of salvation that produces joy, and that even commands us to take joy in knowing him. I appreciate the way Spurgeon puts that, but we must distinguish Christian joy, the joy that's being talked about here, from happiness or mere happiness. Happiness is a word that comes from happenstance, which is connected to circumstances. 
And so it's contingent on things going right. That's what makes us happy. It's happiness comes from things going well. Olivet, my daughter, and Olivia Spady were on a volleyball team this year. And it was a rough season because a lot of the players were new. A lot of young freshman girls who had not done this before. And so it was, it was rough. Lost all the games except one. The last one. And because it was the last one, I think it was just all the more thrilling to watch them win in three straight sets. And there was disproportionate cheering on the part of all who had been along for the ride. I felt bad for the other families. It was like, what? what? I mean, it's happy to win a game, but what? Really? That happy? It was just so thrilling. Lazarus and I, the last week or so, we get up early in my house. He's another of my children. And uh, we've taken to, while I'm cooking breakfast, watching some videos of guys shooting deer with bows, bow hunters. And if you've watched any of those videos, you know when they, when they get the buck, they make the shot, like immediately there was this huge rush of ex- ecstasy, <laughs> adrenaline, that they can't even control themselves. It's almost embarrassing to watch them because they're so giddy. And it's all the more because they're like trying to keep quiet, and they're perched precariously up in a stand. <laughs> but you, it's worth watching because it's just like such, so thrilling for them to have done what they just did and to have worked so hard for it and for it all to come together. Wow. Sir, when things go right, and they go really right at times, and all the pieces come together, it's natural to respond with joy. And sometimes that joy can be super happiness at least, and that happiness can be super intense. But we can't live there, can we? Those moments are pretty rare. There's a lot of difficulty in life that God has given us to bear. It's not natural to respond in happiness to unhappy things, to difficulties. It's just not natural. And that's not what Paul is calling us to do, to pretend like life is, isn't difficult. What he's doing is he's calling us to something greater than happiness, something that transcends it. He's calling us to joy in the Lord. Joy, Christian joy, is tied to something constant, something that doesn't change or waver or go up and down. It's tied to a person who is constant, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And in that sameness and that constancy, what is he doing? He is ruling all things and ordering all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, for his people He's ruling all the circumstances of our lives, the ups and the downs. And Paul has especially the downs in view when he talks about how all things work together for good. That's, if we can tap into him, that constant one, that one who is in authority over all things, we tap into the source of joy. And we can find joy in knowing him. A joy that 
is like what Nehemiah said, a joy that's strengthening and makes us able to bear up under the burdens and the difficulties of life and carries us through them, stabilizes us through them. So Paul is not saying, from now on, my brothers, buck up. Cheer up, guys. It's not what he's saying. He's not even saying, from now on, brothers, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a spiritual command. We are to look to the Lord and connect with him and rest in him and trust in him. And what comes to us is peace and joy in believing. I want to give you an illustration from Christian history of what this kind of joy looks like, what it sounds like, just kind of coming out of a man who's, got, who's found it, who lives out of it, even in the midst of misery. There's a lot of examples in Christian history you can point to. I've chosen one that's just kind of mundane so that you can see what it's more attainable. It's more, it's more what's the word I'm looking for? It's more like Relatable. It's relatable. It's powerful. You see that it's not natural to live like this. It comes from someplace supernatural, the work of the Spirit in somebody's life. But you might find yourself in faith having this same kind of response to difficulty. This is John Nelson, who was a friend of John Wesley, a companion preacher who went on some travels with him saying some things about his friend that he heard him say in, under some difficult circumstances. And this is recorded by another man named William Barclay. So I'm going to read you some of William Barclay's comments interspersed with these anecdotes from Nelson about his friend Wesley, okay? Barclay says, It often happens that men can stand the great sorrows and the great trials of life, but are undone by what are almost minor inconveniences. I don't know if I can buck up or do good and respond well and joy to the great trials, but I certainly am undone by the minor inconveniences. He goes on, but true Christian joy enables a man to accept even them with a smile. John Nelson was one of Wesley's most famous early preachers. He and Wesley carried out a mission in Cornwall near Land's End, and Nelson tells about it. At that time, he says, Mr. Wesley and I lay on the floor. He had my great coat for a pillow, and I had Burkitt's notes on the New Testament for mine. <laughs> After being here nearly three weeks in that condition, one morning about three o'clock, Mr. Wesley turned over and finding me awake, clapped me on the side saying, Brother Nelson, let's be of good cheer. I have one whole side yet for the skin's off on the other side. <laughs> they had little enough even to eat. One morning, Wesley had preached with great effect. As he returned, Mr. Wesley stopped his horse to pick the blackberries, saying, Brother Nelson, we ought to be thankful that there are plenty of blackberries, for this is the best country I ever saw for getting a stomach, but the worst I ever saw for getting food. <laughs> That's just... Christian joy, bearing up under difficult circumstances of hunger and discomfort in the service of the Lord, 
This is the kind of attitude and outlook. And Barclay says, Christian joy made Wesley able to accept the great blows of life and also to greet the lesser discomforts with a jest. If the Christian really walks with Christ, he says, he walks with joy. Now, our sister Lucy, who we're mourning and honoring tomorrow, had this kind of joy. If you knew her, you saw it. She carried it around with her. She had very difficult things to overcome in her life, and she met them with joy. Our brother Bob Kaplowitz, who passed away, an incredible example of an overcoming Christian joy. Both of these loved ones had more difficult circumstances than most of us had to bear in our lives. They found, they tapped into the source of joy, and they lived out of that source in their life. What about you? Are you presently abounding in the joy of the Lord? You know, there is an epidemic around us in society of joylessness, of unhappiness, of anxiety, of depression. There's evidence of that everywhere. If you're half awake, you're paying attention. It's being talked about. The, there's, there's all kinds of answers or remedies being proposed, presented. Just the, the amounts of self-help books that exist are attempts really to find, help people find a happier way of existence, a better, healthier, happier way. There's food gurus who are presenting dietary solutions to our anxieties and our depressions. There's psychologists, psychiatrists rather, prescribing medications for them. And now listen, listen to me carefully. We have bodies, and I'm not discounting at all the effects of our bodies on our moods. And sometimes those effects are difficult, very difficult to bear up under, and they can and should be treated. There is a place for psychiatry and medication. If we sat down and talked about it, you'd probably hear me say, I don't think that as many people as are medicated need to be. But I certainly don't side with those who say everything is a spiritual problem only and has to be met only with spiritual remedies and cures. We have bodies, and those bodies are affected by the curse, and they don't work right, and that includes our minds. And so there is wisdom at times in seeking help from doctors and medications to stabilize what's hurting in our minds and in our bodies and the effects of these things on our moods and our experience of life. Okay? So you heard me say, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But we are more than bodies. And many of these people who prescribe don't take that into account. We are more than bodies. We have souls and there is only one cure for the soul. That is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He brings healing to the nations. He is the great physician of the soul. And so we, can, we need to seek him and we need to speak. Our joylessness, our, our unhappiness 
may have physical causes. A good night's sleep turns out to help a lot, doesn't it? But there's something greater yet to be found than a good night's sleep. Something that will sustain you through many nights of sleeplessness and continue to keep you up emotionally, that stabilize you and help you. And that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, finding your comfort and your help in knowing him. He can cure what ails you in your soul, and nothing else can. Joy is of supernatural origin. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It comes from knowing Jesus Christ and finding spiritual rest and hope and satisfaction in who he is and what he's done. And that satisfaction and that help, that assurance and that rest and that peace can be accessed by his people at any time under any circumstance of life. That's what Wesley was tapping into with those the, the discomfort of hunger and of a hard surface to sleep in. Turn into Christ and seeking comfort and help and having, keeping up good hope through Jesus. The, the joy that Jesus gives can keep us filled with joy in the face of grief and loss and sleepless nights, undergoing chemical imbalances in our bodies, suffering under great things. And if we will turn to him in joy, to seek joy, there is no one to stop us, nothing to keep us from obtaining it. God and Jesus is willing and ready to help us. Faith and joy go hand in hand, which is why joy is one of the principal evidences of a sincere Christian faith. And against the joyless background around us, Christians are to stand out and be noticed for the difference at the point of their joy and their good cheer. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his um, collection of sermons called Spiritual Depression about this, okay? He says, spiritually depressed people are very poor representatives of the Christian faith. As we face the modern world with all its trouble and turmoil and with all its difficulties and sadness, nothing is more important, says Lloyd-Jones, than that we who call ourselves Christian and who claim the name of Christ should be representing our faith in such a way before others as to give them the impression that there is the solution and here is the answer. In me, I have found it, the answer, the solution. In a world where everything has gone so sadly astray, we should be standing out as men and women apart, people characterized by fundamental joy and certainty in spite of conditions, in spite of adversity. This is how we confess that there's something good in God, that we've actually found a good thing in our religion and in our faith, something powerful, something that helps us overcome and carries us through difficulties. So I ask again, what about you? Are you living and abounding in the joy of the Lord? If so, good. 
good. This passage that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is only going to help you more. It's going to help you, hold you there, help reassure you that you're on the right path, and help you more, look more earnestly lean in to the joy that is yours in Jesus Christ. If not, if you're not presently experiencing and abounding in the joy of the Lord, as many of us, I think, are not, this passage is really going to help you remember where joy comes from and drive you to it. It's going to help you find your way back to the abundant joy that is yours in Jesus Christ. And if you're not yet a Christian and have never come to know the joy that abounds in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true, satisfying, rich, overcoming joy of the knowing the Lord, then this passage that we're going to look at these next couple of weeks is going to show you where it can be found, in whom it can be found, and how to find it there. I'm not overpromising. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, founded on the most amazing truth. Paul lays out in these 16 verses his own testimony of how, how he found liberating joy in Jesus Christ, a joy that so, was so fulfilling that he was willing to give up everything else in order to obtain it and is willing to continue to give up all those things for the sake of it. Like the merchant in Jesus' parable, who was a pearl merchant. He was in the business of pearls. And one day he finds a pearl of so surpassing value that he goes and sells all of his other stuff in order to buy it and obtain it for himself. That's what Paul found in Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price. And it's like a pearl that just keeps growing in value as you experience it, as you live with it, as you enjoy it day by day. So Paul writes this down for us, these verses that we're going to look at these next weeks. Under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, because he and the Spirit want the same thing for you and me. God wants us to have joy. That's what he's about. That's what he's offered. It's obtainable. Because he's generous and good and giving. And if we come to him in the right way, and if we seek in Jesus Christ and seek to be found in him, and we learn to understand what that means and how great it is and what a mercy it is, we'll find joy. I'm going to do my best to lay out these verses to you and to press them home. But I can't give you joy. Only the Lord Jesus can. So as we come Come with open hearts. Come eager to receive good things from the Lord. Come believing. He who comes to the Lord must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So let's come in that way to his word these next weeks, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for your servant Paul, and I pray that you would work joy into our hearts as we, uh, as we seek you in faith. Would you speak to us over these next weeks, Lord, and would you help us to 
know what it means to truly believe in Jesus and to experience the abundant joy and life that is ours in him. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do this. You have the power to do it, and we have the need. So would you please bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.